0: have the privilege to introduce to you uh, Pastor Bob Blonick from uh, Faith Church in Indianapolis. And uh, Pastor Bob and uh, his wife, Jean, have been our guests this weekend. Uh, Many of you were here yesterday for a spiritual gifts workshop that that Bob taught, and he's going to be continuing that teaching this morning from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, would you just join me in welcoming them, or welcoming Bob as he comes up? Thank Thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Had a great time yesterday. I know they videotaped it and I left some outlines. If you weren't able to come and you want to, can't get to sleep some night and you need something to put you to sleep, take the video home and I'll put you to sleep. How's that? And hope you don't mind if uh, I do a little exercising while I'm up here this morning. Uh <clears throat> I've been fighting a cold all week, and I like to get to the gym about three times a week. I belong to the Y, and I had not been able to get over there, so I thought maybe I'd get in a little exercise this morning. Um, I don't like going to the Y. I don't know if you like going. Uh, I feel better after exercise, but uh, getting there is kind of hard. Uh, two years ago, Gene and I went to Maui for our 40th wedding anniversary. Had a great time. Took a lot of pictures. And I got home, and I noticed one of the pictures, I hadn't noticed when we were there, there was a picture of a beach whale on the beach, and then I realized that was me. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, I, I'm getting pretty big, I need to start losing some weight. And so I got back in the gym, started lifting weights again, I'm down about 10 pounds, i got some more to go, but exercise is important. Uh, I don't know, but I've noticed that the older I get, the harder it is, right? Those of you my age, amen. That metabolism slows down. You put in as much work, you don't lose as much. But uh, now that I'm 64, uh, will you still love me when I'm 64? Now that I'm 64, I've been studying and reading a lot about our bodies and what happens to our bodies. And sadly, I hate to tell you, but the news is not good. If you're over 20 in the room this morning, your body is already deteriorating. You and I are born with about 100 billion brain cells. And they don't regenerate. Those cells don't regenerate like our other body cells. And we start losing them in our 20s. And a person of about 40 loses... 10,000 brain cells a day. Isn't that nice? I've lost about 84 million so far, I figured. So no wonder I find myself walking into a room and wondering why I'm there. Why am I here? Oh, I'm supposed to preach. Our lungs capacity for breathing starts decreasing at 30 Our eyes begin to go at 40. Our heart's blood vessels start to constrict around 40. Our kidneys, around 50, start having problems. Isn't this fun? Isn't this exciting? Our bone loss begins at 25 and proceeds at 3% a decade, so I'm down about 12% so far. Our muscles lose 1% to 2% of their strength starting at age 25. I'm down 57%. This is a great one. Between 25 and 70, you lose half a pound of muscle and gain one pound of fat per year. I'm down 25 in muscle and up 50 in fat. The teeth start going at 40. The hearing starts going at 50. What did he say? The hearing starts going at 50. Your skin mid 20s hair in the 30s but here's some good news i got some good news if you don't drink alcohol your liver should be as healthy at 70 as it was at 20 so if i was just a liver i'd be doing really great right now <laughs> i have i've had to face the fact that my body it's getting older, it's deteriorating, and I need to be doing more work to keep it in shape. That's why I go to the Y and abuse my body, and I see all these young guys there, you know, showing off all their muscles, and I kind of look at them and laugh and say, Well, just wait. Just wait till you get in your 40s, 50s, and 60s and see what happens to you. Well, why, why all this talk about bodybuilding? Well, as important as bodybuilding is for an individual... It's just as important for another body, and that's the body of Christ, the church. And that's what we're going to look at today in our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The church in Corinth that Paul is writing to is having some trouble. Corinth was a dark, dark place. I like to say, really, in America today, we're living in Corinth. Corinth. The way it's turning darker and darker every day. They were in a tough place, but they were having some very sinful behaviors in their church that they weren't dealing with. And some of those divisions and problems they were having in the church were causing divisions among themselves. They they were arguing among themselves, they were fighting among themselves, and so Paul has to write to remind them that they are one, they are one body, and they need to be unified. So if you have your Bibles there, I'm going to read verses 12 to 27 of 1 Corinthians 12. Follow along. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Father, as we study your word today, may I get out of the way. May we see these words of Paul come alive in a new and fresh way. I pray for Wallace Community Bible Church. As they stand as the body of Christ here in this community, that you would remind them today of the tremendous calling on them as a body and as individuals to represent Christ in their area of Corinth. So lead us now. May your spirit guide us. May we be attentive to your word. May all the glory come to you, we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. not too hard when you study this passage to figure out the main idea that Paul is talking about. He uses the word body in the Greek 18 times in 14 verses. So he obviously is concentrating on this concept of the body. You know, in our society today, I hear a lot of people talk about how they're going through an identity crisis. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they're going. A lot of young people are trying to find jobs or trying to find careers and are having identity crises. Well, in some ways, the church in America today is also experiencing an identity crisis as we try to figure out what is our role now in this fast-changing culture around us, where things are changing so fast and a lot of people aren't even thinking about church this Sunday, how are we to be the church? What's our identity in this society as we see Christians in the church attacked more and more in the news and other places? What's our role? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, ask people today, if you go out and ask people to tell you what the church is, you get some wrong answers. One is, well, it's a building. I would imagine that if people come to you and ask you where you go to church, where your church is, you say it's here. At this location on North 1300, you refer to this building as the church. And this is not the church. This is where we gather. This is the physical building we gather in. But this building is not the church. Richard Avery had a little poem, very simple poem for kids. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people. The church is made up of you. You are the church. We are the church. Secondly, people look at the church today as simply a religious organization that asks for money. That's all they're after is your money. And so a lot of people don't come to church because of that. Thirdly, it's a place that a lot of people in America feel they don't need in their life. They have no need in their life for church. 81%. 81% of Americans say that they can arrive at their own spiritual and religious values and views without a local church. And that's happening more and more with the internet and you can go online, you can listen to sermons, you can do church at home. They say you don't I don't need the church. I can just have a relationship with God by myself. Others say that the church is simply a place for hypocrites to gather and to gather together and have and socialize. Well, part of that's true. Tony Campolo once said, since the church is the light of the world, it will attract some bugs. And it does. There are times we don't act very kindly towards one another. We we do act kind of hypocritical at times. And so we have to be aware of that. That's, as we argue, as we try to argue against these stereotypes about us as the church, Many churches are trying to change their identity. They're trying to look like the culture, and so they can bring the culture in. And the world is rapidly changing, so a lot of churches are changing everything, and a lot of the traditions we used to have are kind of going out the window. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be the church? Well, I enjoyed reading the history of Wawasee Community Bible Church. Josh sent me, 28 years old. I enjoyed reading your history. It's an interesting history how you started out with just lay leaders and then brought pastors on, and you kind of did that whole new membership thing. And it's neat to see. Then you joined the E-Free Denomination, which I'm a part of. My church is, and it's a great denomination. This was interesting to read your life story, the history of your church. But with the culture around you rapidly changing, uh, you must continually review how you're reaching your world. I mean, what a dichotomy you have in this area of Indiana. As we drove around, came up the other night, went to eat at Das Essen House, and saw all the Amish uh, carriages on the road. Thinking about the old culture and now the new culture, and you're you know how do you how do you Minister in that kind of an environment where you have old and new coming all the time. Well, hopefully, we're going to learn from our passage today the way to do that. In our passage today, Paul gives us three principles about the body of Christ, the church. And these principles will be foundational for your church as you move into the future and in, for every church in America. First of all, in verses 12 to 13, the body is a unit. Paul makes that very clear, the body is a unit. He, he uses the analogy of a human body to speak of the Corinthian church. He says that although it has many parts, it is one body, one entity. So as I stand before you today, I have muscles, bones, cells, organs, arms, feet, ears, head, many parts, but what you see is the one body. Just because I have five fingers on my hand doesn't mean those are five separate individual things. They're part of a hand. They're part of a unit. They're part of a body. So he tells us in verses 12 to 13, So it is with Christ. We are Christ's body here on earth. That's the first thing we need to understand. That all of us make up the body of Christ. And we should care for each other. We should encourage one another. We should strengthen one another. It says in verse 13, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. When we accept Christ and we receive the free gift of salvation, we are spiritually baptized into the church. That's when you join the universal church of Jesus Christ is when you accept Christ. And because of that, we should all be unified. And he talks about about that to them in verse 13. He mentions Jews or Greeks, whether you're a Jew or you're a Greek. In other words, he's saying there should be no ethnic, there should be no racial divisions within the church of Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek, you should get along. Then he goes on and says whether you are a slave man or woman or a free man or woman, there should be no social distinctions in the church. So he's covering both ethnic and social here, that we should be unified. And we are different. We're different ethnicity-wise. We're different social classes. We're different in income. We're different in backgrounds. We come into this room, we're all different, but we are one body. He tells them right before this in chapter 11, he's just talk to them about communion and how Christ gave his body for the church and how they should honor that ceremony of having communion. And then he comes here and reminds them that they are the body. They are his body now on earth. I think Paul learned this the very first day he met Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9 verse 4. Paul is on the Damascus road. Saul is on the Damascus road. He has been out persecuting Christians. He's gotten letters so he can go and persecute these Christians that he can't stand. And he meets the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And what does Jesus say to them? Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting those people? He says, why are you persecuting me? He recognized, and he was trying to teach Saul, who became Paul, the people that you are persecuting, they are my body. They are me. When you attack a Christian, you are attacking me. We sit here in these comfortable seats this morning. We're from different backgrounds, we're different ages, uh, different ethnicities, different professions, different families. But we have one body, one Savior, one Holy Spirit, one church, we are one. So he starts out by reminding us that the body is a unit. But then in verses 14 to 20, he gives us our second point, that the body is many parts. It's one unit, but it's also many parts. He says it's not made up of one part, but many. When you look at me, you see my body. What you don't see is the literally billions of cells. That are making up our human bodies. Right now, we are at the location of Wawasee Community Bible Church. But this is not the church. The church is here this morning because you're here this morning. The church is gathered this morning. So we come together, and this is the body. This is the body of your church. Some are missing today, but this is the body of your church that is gathered But gathered, but the rest of the week you're scattered. You come together for this time and some other times throughout the week, but then we scatter the rest of the week, and we are now still the body of Christ. You are the body of Wabasee Bible Church out in the community, the many different parts making up the body of Christ. In verses 15 to 16, There are some themes here. It sounds to me like he's dealing with some people who had maybe some low self-images or inferiority. They didn't feel like they had a very important role in the church. They they didn't have a public place in the church. Maybe they didn't feel uh, very good about who they were. But he tells them in verses 15 and 16, "...if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body." That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Is the foot not a part of the body because it's not a hand? No. Is the ear not a part of the body because it's not an eye? No. Some of the Corinthians must have been feeling inferior in their roles within the church. Maybe you feel that way sometimes. Maybe you feel like, well, I'm not a very important person in this body. Well, you are. Everyone is important. I love the use of comedy in verse 17. It's kind of subtle, but Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of liver? Like I said earlier, if I was just a liver, I'd be doing okay, okay? But if I was just a nose, and we blonics are known for having pretty big noses, if I was just a nose standing up here, that would look funny But that that's all I was. And and he's, he's, he's using some common, no, we can't just have a nose. We've got to have an ear. We've got to have hands. We've got to have feet. We've got to have every part of the body. And then in verses 18 to 20, Paul now reminds them, That they are serving a sovereign God. They're not there by accident. You're not here by accident. You are not in this church simply because you chose to come here someday. God brought you here. God has you here. It's his sovereign act. Verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. You are part of this congregation because that's god's will for your life in the garden of eden god took some dust he formed adam's body and he blew air into it in the church god took us you and me he arranged the parts in the body he did it he does it and he continues to do it just the way he wants to do it so just like he made A physical body, he makes the church the body. Wabasee Bible Church was not haphazardly thrown together. You are carefully arranged by a sovereign God to impact this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does this mean? It means that every part is important. Every person is important. Each person is uniquely chosen and placed in the church by God. And instead of sitting around saying, gee, I, that person has a more important job. because This is what the Corinthians were doing. They were fighting. They have a better job. or my jobs better than yours? They were bragging. No, we need to figure out what our job is in the church and cooperate with one another and do it the best we can. The body is a unit. <clears throat> the body is many parts. Third, the body is interdependent. It's interdependent. It's dependent on each other. Paul shifts his thoughts from those who maybe had an inferiority complex more now to those who maybe are feeling superior, they're feeling superior to others. Because his, you know, he wants his church to have three main things under this point. Number one, the church needs to be mutually dependent. Mutually dependent. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Individual members of the body cannot exist apart from the body. If you surgically remove a part of your body, it will die. It has to be part of the body to continue to live. In 503 BC, a Roman consul by the name of Agrippa penned a famous fable. You can look it up, Google it, Agrippa's fable. He told his soldiers a fable... That before they were about to go into battle, about the human body, the fable is about the, the army, the army guys saying, thinking of themselves of the body, thinking that the stomach wasn 't pulling its weight. You know what does, what does the stomach really do? You know the stomach doesn 't throw a spear, the stomach doesn 't hold a, a shield, the stomach doesn 't run with its legs, doesn 't fight, doesn 't use its head. What does what the stomach it doesn 't have a very important part. So he told them a fable, and they decided to starve the stomach. And they didn't feed the stomach. And what happened was the body got weak, and it couldn't operate, didn't have its strength. And so when it went into battle, it got beaten. And so he used that fable to show them how they need to care for all parts of the body. They are unified. You're mutually dependent on one another. You've, you've got to depend on each person within the church. The second part under interdependency is mutual harmony. He says that in verses 24 to 25. Which of our most presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be, be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Mutually working together for harmony. Even though some parts of the body are weaker, they all have to work together. Now we spent two hours, two and a half hours yesterday looking at spiritual gifts, looking at what, how God has gifted each one of us and how each one of us is unique and how we're to learn what our spiritual gifts are and then we're not to neglect those gifts but use them within the church. Now within your church you have what would be called upfront ministries. You you have someone that comes to the pulpit and preaches. You have people who lead worship. You have people who read scripture, people who pray. You have teachers more upfront. And we make a we we make an error by saying, well those gifts are more important. Those are the really really important gifts. You know, I, my gift isn't that important. Uh, One of the ladies came up to me today and said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I'm not going to be able to hear your message today. I'm holding babies in the nursery. Well, I go praise the Lord. That is a great, great gift to you parents, you moms and dads, who can bring your little ones here. And you can come in and sit in a church service and you know someone is lovingly caring for your little child. That's not a real public ministry, but it's someone doing something behind the scenes. It's everyone doing it, bringing harmony. When I look at behind-the-scenes ministries, I think of the prayer warriors. I think of the nursery worker. I think of the student ministry small group leader. I I think of a caregiver who makes a meal for someone. Uh, I was seeing uh, pictures up here of your place you're building for the orphanages in India. Those who just give. Those who behind the scenes are praying for that. No one may ever know that you were part of doing that. Someone who visits the sick. Someone who goes and visits someone who's widowed. A faithful giver. A, a worker who repairs the church. Someone who's going to show up next week at Habitat and help build that home. Someone who shows up when you, when you show up here in about a month Guess what? The sidewalk's probably going to be shoveled before you get here. Who's going to do that? Somebody's going to do that. That's their ministry. That's their job. Who, when you get up and leave out of here, who goes through and picks up the coffee cups and cleans up the auditorium? Somebody does that. It's a very important job. Who stocks the kitchen? Who makes the coffee on Sunday mornings? Who brings the donuts? Those are all very important roles within the church. The list goes on and on. Why, why is this so important? Well, he, he tells us there in verse 25 that there may be no division in the body. Now, I know it I wasn't highlighted in the history of your church. I didn't see anything in there that sounded really bad. But I know if you've been a church for 28 years, you've had divisions in the church. You've had disagreements in the church. If you've had a church more than a year, you probably have had divisions in in, in the church. Um, why is that? Well, it's because we don't know how to get along with each other. Sometimes we think our opinions are more important than others. But I think the main reason is this church does not exist in a vacuum. You have a, you have an enemy. You you have someone who does not want this. You have. You have an enemy that is working full-time, 24-7, to destroy this church. Your pastors have targets on their back. Their marriages have targets on their backs. There's an enemy out here who doesn't want this church to succeed. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want your marriage to succeed. He wants to damage the church. Now, we're told by Jesus, my church will stand and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But that doesn't mean that the gates of hell won't attack it. And so one thing we always have to be very careful of, especially more and more and more in today's society, is that society looks at it, do we have harmony? Do we get along with each other? Do we truly love one another? Or are we fighting among ourselves? Because as soon as we do, they're going to say, see, those hypocrites, that's all they do is fight. So Paul is really calling this Corinthian church to come to a sense of Harmony, So there would be no division in the body. Thirdly, in verses 25 to 27, there needs to be mutual concern. <clears throat> mutual concern. Second part of verse 25. One member may have the same care. The members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together one member is honored, all rejoice together. I had someone come up to me this morning and share with me, without even knowing me, that, that uh, one of their family members had surgery this week. And I instantly I instantly felt compassion for that person. A uh, spirit moved in me, asked them how they were doing, uh, how, what were the results. That's what we're supposed to do as the body of Christ. When, when someone else is hurting, we're there. We're the first ones there to have concern for one another, to care for one another. If there's a need, we should strive to meet it. We shouldn't be competing. You see, the church church today needs to be more than a civic center. It needs to be more than a social club, an encounter group, or a meeting place. It needs to be a community. And, And as I read through the history of your church, I mean, the history of your church is captured in your name. It's captured in your name. see is the area you're trying to reach. Community, it's obvious to me that that's an important word to you. You want to be a church known for community. And that's going to be so much more important in the days ahead because we're living in a society where people's relationships are very shallow. Their Facebook relationships, their Instagram relationships, their Twitter relationships, relationships. They're not face-to-face. They're not flesh-on-flesh. They're not hug-to-hug. Um, a lot of my job is as a counselor. A lot of times I realize that I am meeting with someone, and the only reason, the only reason they're seeing me as a counselor, is because no one else will listen to them. They just need someone to listen to them. And many times a hurting person will come to me and be with me for an hour and I'll just listen to them. I, don't, I can't solve their problem for them, but I encourage them, I pray with them, and they leave feeling much better. Why? Because another human being didn't just Twitter them an answer or Facebook them a message, but God in the room, looked them in the eye and said, how are you doing? And how can I help? We need to we can that's what our society is looking for. Our society is so disconnected that if you come into their life and show community to them, that's what's going to pull them in to the message of the gospel. And then secondly, the other word in your name is Bible. You are built on the Bible, and that's what our society needs is truth. So you've got the two aspects of community and truth, but understand. There's an enemy that wants to tear you apart, and that's why you've got to care for one another and have mutual concern for one another. So mutually interdependent with mutual dependence, harmony, and concern. The American culture in in which we live is becoming more and more a hodgepodge of different cultural beliefs different religious beliefs, different moral beliefs. Everyone's got their own beliefs syncretism of beliefs. People there's no absolutes anymore Uh, and if you stand for an absolute they kind of say well who are you to tell me the absolute. So people are out there forming their own religions their own cultures, their only moral standards for living there's always one thing that america has been known for and that's rugged individualism we're kind of the western people go west young man we're the individualists we we're kind of arrogant about that in the world don't tell us what to do when i was growing up i heard a lot of messages from different people my parents told me you can do anything you set your mind to you know, you, you choose what you want to do, and in America, you can do that. Many years ago, there was a company named Schlitz Beer that told me I could grab all the gusto I could. That's all I needed to do, was just grab all the gusto, have all the fun I could. Frank Sinatra's famous song told me to do it my way. I could just do it my way. You know, don't worry about anybody else, just do it my way. Nike today tells me, just do it. Just do it. Uh, Back to the gym I go. (laughs) Harley Davidson, now I'm a Honda Goldwing guy, I've got a Goldwing, but Harley Davidson tells us, American by birth, rebel by choice. Boy, there's a statement on America today. Burger King tells me that I can have it my way. And I hate to admit it, but the Survivor TV show that I watch every now and then, I should admit that, Their motto is, outwit, outplay, and outlast. If you ever watch that show, it's a great, I'm not recommending it for what they wear and the bad things that go on it, but the, the sociological part of it, that you put a group of people together that can't get along and don't know how to form community and fight among each other, is a good statement about our society today and the church today. We live in a culture where most people's top three priorities in life are me, myself, and I. But at the same time, we're living in an increasingly lonely society. Many people are existing as virtual lone rangers where their only in-depth contact is through what I've already mentioned, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, surface relationships, but not someone that gives you a hug when you're hurting. In the midst of such a virtually cold, long-ranger world, the Church of Jesus Christ offers an alternative. It offers a community of people who belong to one another, who are one body, many parts, but one body, who have mutual care for each other and mutual harmony. When God created Adam in the Garden of Eden, he said it was not good for him to be alone. And therefore, he created Eve and he created the first human institution, the family. As Adam and Eve's family grew and as society grew, he created the next human institution, society. But then, 50 days after Christ's crucifixion, God created the most important human institution on the face of the earth on the day of Pentecost, when as the disciples were gathered in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. The church of Jesus Christ was born. So the institution of the church took its first breath. I want you to look back at verse 25. I skipped over verse 25. There's a very small word in that verse that I skipped over. But it's one of the most important words for all of us as members of the body Christ to understand. In verse twenty-five, it says, "You may have the same care for one another." That little word—we use two words to say it—but "one another" in the Greek is the word "alelon." Paul uses that word over thirty times in his letters. He tells us to love one another, accept one another, serve one another, submit to one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, carry one another's burdens, and bear with one another. It's a very important word to Paul. I believe that little word encapsulates what the body of Christ needs to be. We shouldn't be a bunch of lone ranger Americans, but rather a group of people who are one another... To each other. And that little word serves as my big idea today. I put it this way. As members of the body of Christ, we need to be all alone, not all alone. Our society tends to be all alone. Live for yourself. Grab all the gusto you can. Have it your way. Live alone. No, it's all alone. All alone is what Paul is saying to the church today. So how do we apply this message? How do we take the words of Paul and apply it? Well, there's two ways you can do that today. One is as an individual, and one is as a church. Number one, find out... Which part of the body God wants you to be? Do you know that yet? Do you know where God is, wants to use you in this body of believers? Uh, what are your spiritual gifts? What are your natural talents and abilities, your life experiences? Now, I shared this yesterday, so this is going to be a repeat for some of you. <clears throat> but experts tell me, you know, they, whoever they are, they say, that group somewhere... They say that there are currently 7 billion people on the face of the earth. 7 billion human beings. Uh, That boggles my mind. I don't know what a billion is, let alone a trillion. Now we're up to trillions on our debt. I don't even know what that means. For a moment, if there's 7 billion on the earth right now, this would be a good project for someone to take on I wonder how many human beings God has created in all of time. I wonder statisticians or somebody could go back and figure out. I'm sure it's trillions. I don't know. But if you take all of the people that God has ever created, okay, there has never been anyone, and there never will be anyone like you. God doesn't use a cookie-cutter approach. God doesn't clone human beings. I'm told that God knew me before he gave me my body. He gave me my physical DNA, how tall I would be, the color of my hair, the color of my eyes, the, the facial features I have. He gave me that, and it's unique. Then he gave me a personality that's unique, there's no one that has the exact same personality that I do, thank God, my wife would say. But, there, but there's no one else that has the exact same personality as me. Then he put me in a family, a family of origin. If we had the time to go around the room, we could all stand up and describe our family of origin. And the good things about that, and the tough things about that, I come out of an alcoholic home, I could share some things about that. But those things have shaped who I am. And then I have life experience. I have training. I have training. I was an army officer. I was an engineer. And now I'm pastoring. I went to seminary. I have a lot of different training in my life. So I stand before you as a very unique human being. There's never been anyone like me. There never will be anyone like me. There's never been anyone like you. There never will be anyone like you. You are what I like to refer to as a spiritual snowflake. Snowflakes are coming. They were already here. We saw them driving up the other day. Snowflakes are coming, and they tell me that no two snowflakes are ever alike. There's no one like you. What does that mean? No one else can do your job. No one else can be you. No one else can reach your neighbors with the gospel like you can. Husbands, no one else can love their wives like you can. Wives, no other woman can respect your husband like you can. Children, you've been placed in your family. No one else can honor your parents like you can. Parents, no one else can not exasperate their children like you can. Okay, I didn't say that right, it didn't come out right. But. You're unique. And the question, the, the, the danger is we can just get so caught up in this American life that we get on this American treadmill where we're just living our lives for the American dream. We get up in the morning, we go to work, whatever, we do our thing, we go to bed, we go to church on Sunday, and we just get in this routine. And the danger in that is you may miss God's calling on your life, how he wants to use you in this church for his glory, in this community for his glory. This afternoon, the real religion in America is going to take over as the football games come on. I mean, just think about this. If there are aliens... And if they ever came here and they saw our stadiums, what would they think? That's where they worship. They're the largest buildings in the world. We worship football in America. 22 guys on the field battling it out. 50,000 people in the stands criticizing them on how they're playing. And you've heard that illustration before. But sometimes that's a lot like what church is. We sit back and we criticize what others are doing. Well, I don't like the way they did that. I don't like the way the pastor did that. You know, that elder, I didn't like the way... You know, we, we tend to, you know, have our shots at others. But the question is, what are we doing? What am I doing as a part of the body of Christ to make the body healthy? And, and how can I get in the game? Instead of sitting out on the sidelines and watching... How can I get in the game? So, hey, if you're coming every Sunday morning and that's your role, great. But maybe you could do something else. Maybe you could jump in and help with the ministry. Find out what your gifts are. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, come see Pastor Josh. He's got all my material. He can give it to you. You can take some online uh, surveys to find out. Maybe find out what your spiritual giftedness is and how you can be used in the church. And I guarantee you, if you walk in the door of his office... And say, I'd like to know what my gifts are and where I can work in the church. He's going to cancel everything he's doing and talk to you. Because I know they're always looking for more people to get involved. If you're an eye, be the best eye you can be. If you're an ear, be the best ear you can be. If you're a hand, a foot, a mouth, if you're a gallbladder, be the best gallbladder you could be. So that's the first thing you can do. Second thing is you can pray for your church. Think of your church as an entire body. Not just you individually, but your entire body. Pray for your church. Have mutual concern for each other. Strive for harmony. It's time for us as Christians to quit fighting among ourselves and stand united against the forces of darkness in the world that are trying to pull the church apart. Pray for your leaders. I remember when I was a layman in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where I had my company, my business, my construction business. I was an elder in the church. seemed like my pastor was a little bit down lately. I knew him pretty well. I took him out to lunch. I said, Jim, how are you doing? Jim started to cry. I didn't know what to do. This was my pastor. I knew he had a red telephone on his desk that went right to God. My pastor wasn't supposed to have any trouble. I had him so far up on a pedestal, he and his marriage and his family, they were supposed to be perfect. Because someone had to be living the perfect Christian life. And I expected the pastor to be the one doing it. And on that day, I recognized my pastor was just like me. He was a man who struggled in his marriage at times, struggled in his own sin Life at times, struggled raising his kids, struggled financially. He was just like me. He had just been called to a profession of preaching God's Word. Then I became a pastor, (laughs) and I jumped into the fishbowl of living as a pastor's family in a church. We get the privilege as pastors to come up and stand at this pulpit and preach the Word of God. It's a tremendous responsibility. But we are no more called to this role than you are called to your role. We are simply called to preach the Word of God. We've been trained to do that, and we do that. But if I go to your workplace, if I meet the, your, your friends at school, if I, if I go into your neighborhood and you introduce me as a pastor, the walls go up, there's no way I'm going to reach them, but you can reach them. Because God has strategically placed you there. So, one of the things I encourage you to do is pray for your pastoral staff, pray for your leaders, pray for your elders, pray for your deacons, that God would give them tremendous wisdom as they lead your church. We need to do this together, all alone, one another, not all alone. One body, many parts. Mutually interdependent, with mutual dependence, harmony, and concern. All alone, not all alone. I want to ask the pastoral staff and the elders and deacons if you could come forward, please. I'd like to pray for your leaders this morning. If the leaders would just come up here on stage with me, please. Um... As a representative outside of your church, these are godly people that uh, uh, God has sovereignly placed in your church, your pastoral staff, your elders, your deacons. We need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for their marriages. We need to be praying for their walk with the Lord that would protect them. But these are the leaders that God has sovereignly chosen to lead this church. And I, I would imagine... You'd like to show some form of appreciation to them this morning? Yeah. In closing, I want to pray for your church, and I want to pray for your leaders. Would you join me as I do that? Father, what a tremendous privilege it is for Jeannie and I to be here this weekend. We've met some wonderful, wonderful people yesterday and this morning and uh, I've heard a lot of good things about this church from our district superintendent Chuck about this church over in Wawasee that's got a young pastor who's doing their best to uh, to make this church all it can be in this community to share the gospel I've gotten to know the heart of this pastor I know he has a tremendous love for you Lord Jesus and and for the, for the lost in this area, and for these people that you've given to him. Bless him and his wife and his family as he leads. I pray for your youth pastor. I pray for his family. I pray as he leads these young students. It's got to be a tough job being a student ministry pastor in today's world. I pray he'd be an encouragement for them. I pray for, your, for their children's and family pastor that you would bless him and his family and use him thanks for the staff that you've given to this church lord may this church come around them protect them pray for them encourage them help them grow in their own faith follow them when they need to be followed i pray for the leaders that stand on the the this morning whether they're elder or deacon whatever role that they have i thank you for their willingness i know what it's like i know what it's like to be a layman to be an elder at a church, to have a family, to have a profession, you feel squeezed all the time. I pray for their time management. I thank you for the time that they dedicate to this church. I thank you for the gifts that they bring to this church. May you protect them, protect them marriages, protect their families. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray a blessing on this church as it represents Jesus Christ and the evangelical free denomination in this area of our, of our state. May you... Help them grow spiritually. May you help them grow numerically. May they have mutual concern for one another, mutual dependence, mutual harmony. Keep the evil one away, but continue to build this church to be a strong place for the gospel to go out. Lord, thanks, for your church. What a privilege it is to be part of it. We are gathered here this morning to represent you, but now we get to scatter May we be good representatives of yours wherever we go this week. And if any honor comes from it, if any glory, may it go to Jesus Christ. And it says his name, Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, that we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Thanks for letting me be with you this morning.